it feels embarrassing as an adult to have a kid's book be like a formative book, especially when you read as an adult. But there's a reason that they're good. Mm -hmm. Like children's books take all of the extra stuff out and just leave the important things. Welcome back to another episode of Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, All Booked, where we talk to you about the books we'd like to recommend. And today is kind of a momentous occasion for us. This is going to be our 200th episode. And not only that, we've been recording these episodes for almost four years now. Four years of my life. Yes. So we felt like it would be most appropriate for us to take some time and record an episode that's a bit different from our usual format, Mm -hmm. where we would discuss some of the books that were most influential for us, which is difficult since we work in a library and read a bunch as well as kind of reflect on the past few years with the podcast. So Mm -hmm. with that, Katie is going to start with her first influential book. I am. And I went a little bit overboard today. Um, I have my five books, but I also put them in chronological order from when I read them. (laughs) Um, So the first one is a middle grade series called Pendragon. And that is actually still one that we have in our library today. Um, And this is one that I read so long ago, probably also in middle school, Uh, that I don't really remember a lot of the information. I realize now that it is a series chronicling the time-traveling adventure of Bobby Pendragon, um, and the books are his journals that he sends back to current day, uh, and he is battling in momentous times in our history to defeat Saint Dane, who is a shape-shifting demon who is trying to exploit decisive turning points in history. Uh, I did not know that at all. Uh, I forgot all of that. (laughs) All I remember is that this is one of the first series that I ever remember, like, anxiously waiting for the next one. I I would go in the library and I would just be like, is the next one out? Where is it? Where is it? And I think that was the first time I've felt so fervently about a book and, like, wanted to know what was going to happen next. So what about you? What is one? All right. Well, I avoided listing any of my middle grade ones because unlike you, I made the mistake of trying to reread one of them as an adult and was severely disappointed. I was like, man, my reading tastes were trash when I was in middle school. Yeah, I'm never going back with Pendragon. Yeah, don't, don't. (laughs) You'll be very disillusioned. So I started with a book um, that I read in high school and it has to be The Hobbit. So, you know, very much a classic Mm -hmm. um, by every means. But that was really my first experience as a reader with... um, delving into almost that obsessive fandom kind mm-hmm. of like what you were talking about but next level i felt like it was my gateway drug to harry yeah. potter <laughs> but yeah i was that dork who even tried to learn the original like elvish language and oh, stuff yeah. like that so <laughs> it was pretty influential at the time my next one is one that again is still around today aragon um christopher paolini uh and i really enjoyed the book i think it was another like way for me to kind of slowly inch into fantasy as a genre but I think the thing that really got me was that he was a teenager it felt different reading a book written by a teenager as a teenager um this was probably like junior high for me um so I was if I was a teenager I was like 13 um (laughs) but I distinctly remember being like oh well if he can do it I could write a novel, Um, which isn't always true. But I I remember just feeling a genuine sense of agency as a teenager, knowing that other teenagers were out there becoming professional writers. I still remember getting a little bit angry at Brissinger, however you say that one. Oh, yeah. Yes, his titles were 
very difficult to pronounce. But... Yeah, a lot of the words in there were difficult, which is probably because he wrote them when he was like 15. So. Yes. <laughs> and Leslie? So my next one, you know, of course, there have been a number of influential books for me in between like high school and now. But mm-hmm. where I really started delving into a love of reading again was when I became a librarian. I started out as a teen librarian, which, you know, interestingly, a lot of people that aren't familiar with YA fiction tend to write it off as overly angsty or um, simplistic or immature. So one of the books that really combats that, uh, which I would very nearly say is a perfect book, which I don't say this about very many, is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, That is a book that really takes the full spectrum of the human experience, and it is told in a voice that isn't represented very often in literature in a way that is tragic and funny and relatable and overall just a wonderful journey for like 200 ish pages Mm -hmm. so if you want to experience like the full gamut of human emotions that is an excellent book to tap into the third book on my list is brave new world aldous huxley uh so everyone has probably been forced to read this in school i was also forced to read this in school but i remember this being you know every teenager and if you're a teacher right now, I'm sorry, because it's going to sound really dismissive, has that moment where they're like, oh, my gosh, like, I think I understand the world now. Like, you have many of those moments because you're slowly understanding more about what it's like to be a human in society. But I think Brave New World is when I realized how important literature and art were for me, not just for the world, because that it kind of shows in that book how important it is for society to have a way to like express passion or love or whatever but I think that book made me understand like oh this is also very important for me like this is a thing that I would be very upset if it didn't exist in the world and I also remember being a little bit edgy so (laughs) I was just like wow like a dystopian future but everyone thinks it's utopian (laughs) you know just that general 14 year old or 15 year old like don't worry guys i understand what's happening (laughs) interestingly that book almost made my list too so i I do think it is influential for a number of people yes and a lot of it was it's all about technology so it's not really something that's going to go out of style like we're always going to keep getting newer and better and scarier technology so another one of mine this was from my adult reading experience Mm -hmm. so um But I have had a lifelong love-hate relationship with literary fiction. When it is well done, I adore it. It kind of takes me on this wordsmithing high, sort of. But for the most part, I find it tends to lack empathy for its characters or um, almost seems too self-important, which is one of my hesitations for drifting into that genre very often. But Mm -hmm. when you find the right gem there, it can be a, I don't know, transcendent experience. So one of those books that was that for me was Everything is Illuminated. Um, by Jonathan Safran Foer. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say his last name. Anyway, um, that is a book that has a scope that's hard to pin down. It is simultaneously the history of a now pretty much non-existent shtetl, basically an analog for Trokenbrod, which is in between uh, Ukraine and Poland. Mm-hmm. So you have this kind of imagined history of this village in addition to your following a character who's tracing his family history. Interestingly, in the middle of all of this, there's the story that's told in broken English. You've got all of these weird, almost tall tale um, versions of the history of that shtetl. It is kind of a love affair with language. And for Mm -hmm. me, who really likes wordplay, I enjoyed every second of that journey. The next one on my list is The House of a Scorpion by Nancy Farmer. 
Um, this was one that I read in high school, and it is set in kind of a fake country um, between the United States and a place called Aztlan, a country called Opium. And you are in the perspective of Matt, who is the clone of a drug lord. And he, to keep living as long as he can, um, grows clones and raises them at his like family estate. And they're raised kind of as members of the family uh, because when they get old enough, they'll be harvested for their organs. So the drug lord will have you know, like a fresh kidney if he needs it, like <laughs> anything like that. Um, and I remember this being it's not a horror novel um, and it is a young adult novel, but I remember this being the first like novel that I read that really like freaked me out because it goes from this very pleasant life where he doesn't really understand like the drug trade he doesn't really understand a lot of this to realizing like what's going to happen to him and just like the swift change between like being comfortable where he is to fearing for his life because he realizes the people that he is closest to always knew that he was going to be murdered and his organs were going to be given to this old man and I just remember that being the first experience where I was just enraptured but also like kind of grossed out I was like oh no this is horrible I need to know what happened well speaking of grossed out my fourth most influential book actually happens to be a Stephen King book I know I've mentioned it a few times on this podcast but Mm -hmm. I'm going to shamelessly mention it one more time it is the book full dark no stars Mm -hmm. which is not one of his super popular mainstream books it's actually a collection of i want to say like four or five novellas and i think i've mentioned it before but the novella is probably one of my favorite storytelling formats it's just enough to really get attached to characters and explore their psyches but it's not so long that you go on meandering detours which is especially true with all of the stories represented in this collection Mm -hmm. Um, I personally write novellas as well, so it's wonderful to see that format done so masterfully. And really, Stephen King is at his best in this book. So Yes, and I think Stephen King, it could be argued, is at his best in novellas. <laughs> yes. So all of these are haunting. There is one story I do not think I will ever forget about a woman who discovers a secret that her husband has been harboring during the 20 plus years of their marriage. Oh, gosh. Uh, And the last one um, that I just really remember affecting me um, was in early college, and it's hilariously a children's book. Um, It was the first time I ever read The Little Prince um, by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And I think everyone kind of knows the story of The Little Prince. It's like a little prince who was born on this tiny little asteroid and goes on a journey and then meets a pilot in a desert on Earth and kind of shares the wisdom he's learned in his travels. And this book came to me right after an aunt that I was really close to died. And this is a very good book for people who have like lost somebody. Like that's the whole point of this book is learning how to be okay with losing people, especially towards the end. I like skip the part where he visits other planets because they're like kind of boring, honestly. Um, And I just go straight to the end where he starts talking to the pilot because I mean it really is a good book there's a reason people quote it all the time and that it's on a bunch of stuff like because it's well written and well translated but also just like there is not a human on the planet that won't experience the things that are talked about in this book Um, falling in love being mad at the person you're in love with because they're difficult leaving them and then missing them when they're gone like that whole journey and just you know becoming friends with someone and sharing something and then being like it's okay if I can't be here forever like we met each other and that's good enough that's my final book all right well you made me change my final book oh no I have no regrets um no it was it was not originally the one that you said either so 
But um, I realized as you were talking that probably my fifth pick, and this is going to be embarrassing, is a picture (laughs) book that the illustrations aren't even all that great on. But I discovered it when I was taking a children's lit class. Mm -hmm. And then um, I bought it when my son was born. And I can't read this bleeping book without crying at the end of it every (laughs) single time. So it's the Love You Forever book, which if you know... The history of that book, um, the author wrote it after he found out that his wife would not be able to have any children. So it was kind of an interesting way for him to address that parental need while also putting that hope to rest. And I I think it feels embarrassing as an adult to have a kid's book be like a formative book, especially when you read as an adult. But there's a reason that they're good. Mm -hmm. Like children's books take all of the extra stuff out and just leave the important things. And sometimes that's what you need. You need something that just speaks directly to the issue. Not a 400 page literary novel where they're (laughs) like, oh, but how do we feel about loss? Let me dazzle you with my wordplay. Yeah. Do we really matter? If we don't matter, does loss matter? And I'm just like, no, I just want to be sad and feel bad because someone I love is gone. That's all I want. Exactly. (laughs) Those were our like top 10. Well, between us, top 10 most formative books. Um, You'll notice I don't think maybe maybe you had more recent ones, but. A lot of mine were in high school um, and a little after high school uh, because I feel like that is the time period when you are first learning new things and experiencing new things. And there's nothing more formative than like your worldview shifting like just a little bit. It feels like one of those like a gear like flipping into place and you're like, oh, wait, I think I understand humanity now. (laughs) And of course, you know, as a 15 year old, you probably don't understand all of humanity. But and I struggled a lot making this list Mm -hmm. because a lot of my most influential books were more from like college or early Mm -hmm. in my librarian career because those were the ones I was purposefully seeking out because I knew that I had an incomplete picture of Mm -hmm. my profession or the world in general. So I was trying to look for things to help expand that. Yeah. We have another treat. Uh, Not only will you get our most influential books, you'll get the books that were most popular on our podcast. Uh, So I guess the books that are most influential to our readers or the book reviews that are most influential to our readers. (laughs) And I guess we can start from the top and kind of exchange and talk a little bit about quickly what each one was. The first one we have was Top Download was The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek. Yes. And this is top within the past two years. There actually is one overall that tops it, but we'll talk about Book Woman of Troublesome Creek first. Interestingly, I recently let Lou, who is the reviewer, know that that was one One of of the tops. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And apparently she gets pretty nervous anytime she talks about books. And then what was really funny about it when I told her about it was... She was like, oh, man, the one book that I re- reviewed that was written for adults is the one that ends <laughs> up at the top. Well, to be fair, I think mostly adults listen to our podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then we have The Beekeeper of Aleppo, which was, I believe, a Sabrina. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think she reviewed that one by herself. That one, is that strictly historical or is I it? I think that's like a literary fiction that okay. she picked up. I don't know if it was. It's hard to tell. Sometimes things are popular because of just internet fame uh, because they're trending right now. Sometimes they're popular because they're in a certain location or about a certain person. So I don't know why this one is popular. No shade to Sabrina. It was a good podcast, but sometimes it's more obvious than But I do remember the cover for this one is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Pretty enough that it is very memorable. And I think it was a pretty recent publication as well, which is usually helpful for people looking for new reads. Then we got uh, uh, American Dirt. Yes. And, and that, that one, one was I, spicy. Yes. And I we recorded it at the height of the controversy around yes. that publication, too. Mm-hmm. And we got multiple perspectives, which 
I think contributed to the popularity of that episode. But yeah, it was really refreshing hearing from both Jamie and Laura at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, Yeah. When something's trending for being that controversial, I think it's necessary to get multiple perspectives because just having one person, it it doesn't do the topic justice. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, After that, we have a Chasley original, Anne Boleyn, 500 Years of Lies and 1491. Uh, Historical fiction does well. I know, although both of those were actually nonfiction. So, oh, historical nonfiction. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. But uh, what was crazy about this one, I, I still haven't decided which one of those two books was what drew so many people. Because they're very different. Um, and I know for a nonfiction, the Anne Boleyn one was written very casually. Mm-hmm. Yes, so. very conversational. Uh, and 1491, I think, was expansive. Like, it was a big book, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um. But yeah, uh, both of those are very um, different. So it's funny that they were, they're number four on our list. I know. (laughs) Okay. After that, one of our guest episodes, uh, Kafka on the Shore. Which interestingly, this is our true number one all time. Yes. So in the last year, it has gotten number five because its previous downloads were not counted. Uh, But all over... A lot of people have have wanted to listen to this episode. Yes. Uh, which is hilarious because, again, it's number 35. Um, you would think it's the oldest one that's on this list, I think. Oh, second oldest. And I think this is also an example of a lot of times when we bring in a guest reviewer, mm-hmm. we do tend to see a surge of listeners in other locations even. So in this yeah. case, that guest was from California. So mm-hmm. for a while, we had a pretty steady California following. Not as much now. We're more popular in Minnesota and Michigan. Of course. Makes sense. We are located in Texas, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um but yes, and I love guest episodes too because they're just they're more fun for us to be able to like talk to someone new. Um I love our staff yes. and our friends. They're fantastic. Um but it's always good to hear the perspective of someone that we haven't talked to before. Uh after that, The Murderbot Diaries, which was a me original. Exactly. And then what's hilarious is Chasley came back later to re- review that one as well when she mm-hmm. was doing a whole bunch of science fiction novellas. Yes. Yeah, that was on her her list of of cool science fiction reads. But Katie can claim her influencer hat because I think several other people have since then picked up that book. Myself included. It is really good. And and some, there's something good about a novella. Like you were saying with Stephen King, like when you can wrap everything up tightly in such a short story, um, it helps to to bring people to your to your audience. Uh, that one was very fun for me to do. I really like The Murderbot Diaries. Uh, the Opposite of Princess is the next one after that. And was that a guest one? I so, think it was one of our that was teens? where we had two teens reviewing. Yes. So, and I can't remember the original titles. I merged the two because I was being cute. The when opposite I of always. It. Yes, and, and princess. This something princess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, second title. <laughs> <laughs> I should have looked that up. But yes, those are two, and I believe that they were arcs. So they were like new books, and that oh, always yeah. helps. Um, having having arcs. Uh, uh, advanced reader copies. <laughs> um, because. You know, when I look up a book, I'll, I'll Google it real quick. I'll, I'll And if someone's talking about it, I'll listen. I'll do a quick listen. But it was always nice. I, I wish that was something we could do with more regular reviews, like having um, advanced copies or having teens or whatever review them, because I think it's a really good uh, change of perspective. Yes. Uh, and then one of our biggest episodes ever, the Anti-Racist Reading Companion, 
a huge catalog of books that we reviewed in very small snippets. Yes. And that one we recorded not long after uh, the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. So we were we felt like we had to talk about different books that really yeah. handled talking about race. And, and there wasn't justice. any one book that we felt would appropriately speak to the issue. So we made sure that everyone who came on had a book, at least a book that they could talk about. So we would have, like like it says in the title, a reading companion for people who were interested in learning more about race in the United States, whether that be historically or what you can do now to be anti-racist. And that one, again, I think was one of our longest podcasts, which it had to be. Like there's a lot to talk about and then number nine a gentleman in moscow one of our most reluctant reviewers yes lisa has told us that to basically only come to her when we're desperate yes when we have nothing to put up she will she will (laughs) offer herself as tribute which is funny because she consistently delivers very quality reviews yes uh, that are in-depth thoughtful Mm -hmm. and thought-provoking as you can see, why a gentleman in Moscow, which is one of our very first recordings, number still, thirteen, yeah, yeah, still endures, yeah, uh, which is exciting to to know that something we made that long ago is still being listened to by somebody, someone out there. If it's you, leave a comment. <laughs> and you know what's funny? Thinking back on the episodes that were recorded in our first year, maybe two years. Back then, we had a completely different setup where we were having oh, to yeah. pull mics out of a closet, mm-hmm. and we had them on these little stands. We had like a temporary, a temporary setup, whereas now we have a permanent place to record. The downside of the temporary setup is, like you said, setting everything up and breaking it all down means that you're going to have very inconsistent audio. Um, you're going to have changes to like where everyone's sitting or to how everything's plugged in. Occasionally, you may even forget to turn your mics on and record solely with your laptop for an entire episode. <laughs> um, you may do that. We've never done that. Uh, that would be unprofessional. <laughs> Not only that, it was sitting on rickety tables. So anytime mm-hmm. somebody would accidentally bump it, like, yep. you would pick up that sound. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was very difficult uh, to, to get that done. Um, we are incredibly lucky to have enough happen that we could get our own podcast studio because i mean it's not just us other podcasts happen here too (laughs) but it makes everything so much easier especially because where we used to record was by a bunch of windows so half the time you would hear children screaming if we recorded close to story time we would have to pause and wait for the children to stop screaming (laughs) uh okay our final uh top 10 uh orconomics which is very exciting um i think at least one or two people that I know of read this book after this podcast came out, which is very exciting, (laughs) which I think was that book originally self-published. I don't know. I I think it may have been Um, if it wasn't self-published. It was published by a very small um, like fantasy sci-fi publisher uh, because it was something we were able to order it. So I don't think it was self-published because I think we we run into issues sometimes with that. Um, so we were able to order it and we have it at the library. It exists here. (laughs) Uh, but it was definitely something that was not on many people's radars. Um, it wasn't something that you were going to see like in a book review article or something like that. Um, so it was really nice to have something a little different for the podcast. Exactly. We're not all about literary fiction. That's right. A nice fantasy satire. Yes. (laughs) But those are our top 10. Those are the things that have um, sometimes stuck around the most uh, and then some of the new things that were really exciting. Um, And that was a nice look back. But what about the future? What do we want for the future, Leslie? 
Oh, that's hard. I mean, it's always easy to say you want more downloads or you want expanded listenership or whatever. But um, for me personally, I am trying to be more intentional about scheduling episodes either when something has a resurgence in popularity Mm -hmm. or interest or trying to make sure that we're hitting some of those new releases. That way people can hear, you know, a fresh take on something before they go and try to buy the book or borrow it. Yeah, and that's something that I am really interested in doing as well. Um, I do sometimes get galley copies, advanced copies of books um, through NetGalley online. Um, And then I also sometimes get teen ones sent to me because I'm the teen librarian. Um, So taking advantage of that and really using it to make sure that we are um, posting episodes when they're most appropriately... is something that I really want to focus on in the future, as well as trying to find more like guest listeners. And that's even something I'm wanting to try. It's hard, though. Well, and not just that. I would love to see if we could get more people, the uh, remote guests. Yes. That way we're catching perspectives outside of Texas. Yes. Which, you know, Texas is great and all, but... And it's hard, you know, it, we are a podcast, so no one's going to drive down here to right. to review with us. So it's important that we figure out a way to make it easy, but also, like, keep our quality pretty pretty similar, um, which is diff- difficult to do when you're doing remote. Yes. But, um, yeah, I think, I think those are my two big things. Um, newer books and also more variety in our guests because I, I we got to stop pressuring the people who work here i know right <laughs> they're gonna stop talking to us people already like if we walk to, t- towards them with too much gusto they're like oh no <laughs> oh no what do they want this time <laughs> uh, we just slide up to people and go reading a book would you want to read it on a podcast <laughs> uh but no um that is something that i think would be would be good for us um we also got rid of our 10 minute limit a long time ago yes we were sneaky about that but yeah it was something that like i sometimes forget that ever existed i forget that we had a 10 minute limit uh and now look at us one of our podcasts was 30 minutes long wow (laughs) including one that was about a novella yes (laughs) it was a very contentious podcast (laughs) all right well that's all i can think of that's all we've got yeah thank you guys for staying with us for 200 episodes and we hope to see you around when we hit 400 oh god (laughs) 